what sometimes what stops me in in this big uh, superhero film is, mm -hmm. yeah, the guy is great. He's flying. Oh my God, it's great. But he has the power. I don't, I don't have power. My only wish is like, oh, please protect me, protect me. And he's the one saying, I will protect you. But uh, I can't, uh, I can't identify to this guy. I, I don't have superpower. Yeah. Uh, Valerian is is stupid enough, so I can identify to him. <laughs> <laughs> and and Laureline, you know, she's ruling the house. She's she's the one who knows and and mm -hmm. tame the the men down and say, chill. I'm gonna take care of it. <laughs> so it's very human, in fact. Film fans, welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that bombed and critics who really didn't like those movies very much. Brad, episode 169, your pick. What are we talking about today? Yeah, we were talking about Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, which is a sci-fi space opera directed by Luc Besson. So I got to ask, because I'm, I'm always curious where your picks come from. What, what made you choose this one? I watched this on Amazon Prime. God, it must have been three or four years ago. And I only made it through the first probably 35 minutes. And then I finished watching it um, in two parts. And I really wanted to go back and watch it as like a cohesive piece. Um, and I wanted to give it a second chance because as you know, sci-fi is my favorite genre. And I feel like anytime something comes across my radar and it misses with me, I want to try and see if I can give it a second chance. Okay. So you did not see this in the movie theaters. I did not. Okay. All right. Uh, when we talk about what comes out in July of 2017, uh, we will, uh, We'll, we'll talk why, because there was a lot of stuff that came out that month. All right. Well, hey, let's let's dive into it, because you picked a very interesting director. And I think we're going to go down a rabbit hole on his filmography, both as director and screenwriter, because I, I have a lot of questions about some of his films and, and where you land on him in general. So I'm I'm really excited you picked this film. But let's go back to 2017 when this was released. And, and like I said, the whole premise of the show is we, we try to pick films that either bombed at the box office or the critics just kind of raked over the coals. In this case, it was a little bit of both, right? Yeah, kind of soft on both sides. But yeah. uh, here we go. Uh, release July 21st of 2017 with a reported budget of I've seen anywhere from $188 million to somewhere above 200, 205 to be exact. So in, we'll go with the 205 number. Yeah. And 2017 dollars. And a lot of that being Luke Besson's money himself. Yeah. He's self, this is the lar the biggest budget uh, independent film ever made or at the time it was. Um, is there the one bigger? I don't know if there was, I just, oh, it just okay. says at the yeah. time. Um, and then it's the most expensive European film ever made as well. Yes. Um, 
So with our budget of 205, we have a box office return of a hundred. Oh, I'm sorry, 41.2 domestic and 184.7 for a grand total of 225.8 million dollars. So loses a lot of money. Yes. A yes. lot of money. With these big international films, you usually do get that 2x on the production for uh, marketing and advertising because you're marketing it to the world, not yep. just to the domestic audience. So they wrote off quite a bit of money on this one, Troy. Yeah, and it was um, it was filmed in France, I believe, which also made it a bit more expensive. Yeah. And, and so I guess one of the things Troy and I need to talk about is – when we talk about films that bomb in the box office, we we realize that just because it bombs at the box office doesn't mean all the other streams of revenue doesn't don't make it profitable at some point in time. We're just strictly talking uh, box office performance because it's just easy to do the math that way. Sure, I'm sure after everything was done and you get tax breaks for doing stuff in France and this and that and streaming and it might have made money at some point in time, but strictly looking at box office this thing uh failed to make its money back so well just yeah to- i i would I, I would be curious if it's actually been in the profit as a because I, I don't know about you this is one of those films that when it came out it i think it garnered a little bit of excitement internationally more so than statesides and we'll talk about why yeah. specifically over in europe but even today and we're not that far removed from it i mean it's it's only 2023. So this film comes out before COVID. It comes out, um, and we'll talk about some other big releases for that year. But I also think a lot of people just forgot about this film now. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, but you don't know, like, international streaming rights, what that's yeah. like, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, this is just one stream of revenue. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> Opening weekend, it comes in fifth place Yikes. with $17 million domestically. That is terrible on a 205 budget. You are freaking out. Yeah, at that point, you, somebody's calling their attorney to see if they got filed bankruptcy. Oh, yeah. Yep. And yeah. you're wondering whoever gave a bunch of money to this, how you can fire those people. Um, <laughs> so it gets beat by films uh, like Dunkirk. Girls Trip, Spider-Man Homecoming, War of the Planet of the Apes, and then we have Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. It is a packed month uh, when we get into that. Um, critically, pretty much split down the middle, both cr- uh, uh, critics and audience. We have a critical score of 48 and an audience score of 53. So we're looking about half the people like this film, mm-hmm. half the people don't. One group of people who definitely does not like this film. Oh no. Would be movieguide.org. Uh movieguide.org is our favorite Christian website that lets us know what films we should be seeing for our little Christian eyes and which ones we should not be. Valerian in, in the City of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> a thousand corpses. corpses. Oh my awesome. god. That would be an interesting <laughs> film. Wow. Okay, that's just the greatest crossover ever. Valerian <laughs> the House of a Thousand Corpses. Is this a Rob um, Zombie remake? That would be Yeah, I might actually see that Rob Zombie film. Uh, Troy, where do you think on the plus four to minus four scale? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's got intergalactic pagan worldviews. So well, yeah, anytime you, uh, introduce a race that is not, uh, human, 
something. It's yeah. problematic, right? Although I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was kind of thrown off by the last couple episodes. So I'm going to, I'm going to be conservative this time and say negative two. You got it right. Good oh, job, okay. Troy. It All is right. a negative two. And I don't agree with this first, well, I can't say sentence because this is all one sentence, but the oh, first my. statement says strong Can, Christian. We got to run this through AI and have it like put it into clean it up. Yes. Yeah. Strong Christian moral worldview features a classic good versus evil battle set in intergalactic fantasy setting. Would you say this thing has strong Christian moral worldview? Uh, it, that's a good question. It, it wants to be that hero's journey. Yes. You know, space opera. Um, and, and, but <laughs> I don't, I don't know about the Christian view aspect. That's, There's yeah, a lot okay. of talk about love, but that's a Luke Besson thing. Yeah. The protagonist works for the universal government and fight. Oh, the, uh, the protagonist, sorry, work for the universal government and fight to maintain order and justice throughout space. There's a mention of God in the beginning of the movie, as well as a statement about praying for people who could possibly be in danger. There's a statement made in the movie about how forgiveness is true love and love is the most powerful, more powerful than anything. Hero asked the heroine to marry him. There's mention of a honeymoon and the female <laughs> main character makes it clear that a wedding would precede it. Love between family and friends is extolled, but there are some light romantic elements that include a statement that love breaks all rules, some light environmental elements, uh, environmentalist elements, such as inhabitants of one planet talk about giving back to nature, what she gave to them, although it's done very passively and not expanded any further than the statement. Oh, thank goodness. We, we can't know. have that. <laughs> no, you can't solve the planet. A she. Right. Uh, one sequence where man and woman tried to flirt with hero, several mostly light obscenities. There's one implied, but un unstated F word. Lots of strong and light action throughout as there are wars in space on many different planets, multiple examples of gun, knife, and sword fights, punching and kicking, large explosions, and gunfire are very prevalent. No blood is shown except for mild scrapes on few humans' faces, plus uh, almost all of the humans bleed uh, of sort of yellow goo. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Of aliens bleed. Is that good? Goo. Is that good yeah, or I bad? Guess, uh, okay. Some sexual content, such as Hero goes to a red light district called Pleasure Alley to rescue his female co-worker and woman and man his try to seduce him or flirt. <laughs> I Sorry, I, I don't know why that made me laugh. Flirt with him as he passes. And an alien performs a suggestive dance. The hero is known as a playboy who has a playlist of conquest. Hero and heroine briefly wrestle in swimsuits. And the scene is portrayed with a good amount of sexual tension. I would argue that. Yeah, um, there's not much tension there at all. Heroin <laughs> uh, makes a provocative statement about a man not being able to compete, uh, complete an act in less than three minutes, and a burlesque type of dance performed by a, by a shape-shifting alien female singer, multiple examples of upper male nudity, images of scantily clad females, 
and the people on one planet wear somewhat sheer clothing, no alcohol use, no smoking or drugs, and some strong miscellaneous immorality, including kidnapping, genocide, uh, uh, moral relativism by the protagonist, and black market trades. Minus two. Minus two. Okay. And finally, films you could have seen July of 2017. And this is probably one of the big reasons why Valerian eh, failed at the box office. Because we have a million choices this month. We have Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm -hmm. We have War of the Planet of the Apes, Wish Upon, Girls Trip, Dunkirk. Uh, Let's see what else we got. That's. The Emoji Movie. Can we not forget about the Emoji Movie? Oh, my God. Yeah, that <laughs> Atomic Blonde, Detroit, Brigsby Bear, previous episode. Yes, amazing. And that's about it. But, yeah, we got some big films that month. So can we talk about science fiction films in 2017? I, I was we curious can. when this came out in, in relative to other films that were kind of big around that time period. So I went back and looked at just... It, this is not a comprehensive list, but I'm trying to look for some of the big players from that year. And it kind of shocked me. So if you go back to March, we had um, science fiction with big monsters and that was Kong skull Island. Yep. Then Disney brings out guardians of the galaxy volume two that comes out in may that same month. We get alien covenant, which happened to come out may 22nd. Transformers, the last night, which are robots from space who come to the earth, right? Comes out and on nights of the round table. Yes. Yeah. And Merlin Merlin's yep. in there too. There you go. He had June 21st. You already mentioned war of the planet of the apes. So that's in July, um, a week actually before Valerian. Cause, uh, planet of the apes comes out on the 14th. Valerian comes out on July 21st. Mm-hmm. Then in October, we get another bomb that eventually we're going to have to talk about which is Blade Runner 2049 comes out in October. Disney is still kind of on the space thing because that same year we get Thor Ragnarok, which is out in space, right? Planet Hulk, all that whole thing. Uh, And lastly, we get probably one of the most controversial entries in a long running space opera series. And that's the year we get the very divisive Star Wars, the last Jedi which comes out in mid December. I think overall, if you're a science fiction fan, you had a pretty good run that year. Wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, even with like Blade Brother 2049, I would consider maybe Logan like a, like a, Oh, that's not, sorry. That's not a, that year. I'm, I meant guardians of the galaxy Two. Yeah. Ragnarok. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. War of the planet of the apes. I really like that film life. Remember life. Yeah. Like so that it, one too. It's, so it's really interesting. Like I'm trying to think back on when there was a year that was as strong as 2017 in terms of that many science fiction. And even if you were to just kind of go, okay, take away the monsters and some of the other things. I mean, Disney had two superhero films that were space oriented. You had the alien franchise and the star Wars franchise plus blade runner, which is a sequel to probably one of the biggest science fiction films. Yeah, you'll prop that'll probably never happen again, right? You get a Star Wars and Aliens and a Blade Runner in the and same a year. Planet never of the Apes. In the Planet of the Apes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Transformers. I mean, so Oh jeez. Yeah. If you just look at those five falling <laughs> on the same. It's crazy. Year, right? I just I just thought that was really interesting. Um, well, I hadn't thought of it, 
but yeah, that's insane. Yeah, 2017 was a. I mean, if you're a science fiction fan, 2017 was a big year for you. In my something opinion, for everyone. Yeah, and that's not sort of the B and C list independent films because if you if you just do a list for you know science fiction films in 2017, it's much longer than that. But the key franchises, all of those have budgets over a hundred and hundred fifty million dollars. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I thought I thought that was super fascinating. Like I. I really liked that year. And I, and I have to say, I probably saw all of those except the Transformer film in the theater. Um, but I, I did go to the theater for just about everything on the list. I saw a lot that year too. Yeah. Crazy. Well, we're going to talk about Valerian, which came out in the middle of all of that uh, in July. And it's directed by Luc Besson. So I'm not going to go through his filmography. Um, he, and we're not going to talk about some of the things that recently happened to him with the me too movement. Uh, some of these things happened during supposedly happening during this film. Yes. Which apparently he has, uh, just got through done with the trial and was found not guilty. So, I mean, again, I don't want to touch that stuff with a 10 foot pole because who knows what happened and, and it's actually much more complicated than, you know, just the accusation. This is a, this is a film podcast. It is a film podcast. Yeah. But I mean, he's been around for a while, and I think his his first film is in the early '80s with the Last Battle in 1983. Um, does a couple of films like Subway in '85, and The Big Blue in '88. But would you agree it's Nikita or La Femme Nikita in 1991, which kind of brings him into at least the American scene in terms of like, hey, who's this guy? Who's this movie? And then it kind of gets solidified with Leon, the professional in 94 and then the fifth element in 97. I mean, that run of 90 through 97, all of a sudden he becomes sort of he a major a voice. Yeah. A name. Yep. Um, we, I mean, he's, he's got a movie coming out this year, which apparently is a little controversial called Dogman. Um, and Valerian sits between two films. So he did Lucy in 2014 Valerian in the city of a thousand planets in 2017, and then followed that up with Anna in 2019. So real quick, we'll talk about Luc Besson as a screenwriter, but when you look at his filmography or maybe just his films in general, where do you land on him or, or what's your opinion of, of him as a director? I absolutely love Leon, the professional. I know some people have problems with it. Yes. I think there are some relationship problems with that movie. Uh, but I, I think it's it's pretty fantastic. You have Gary Oldman, um, young Natalie Portman, Jean Reno. I think it's a fantastic movie. Then he follows that up with The Fifth Element, which I watched obsessively for a really long time. It is one of the best hero's journey sci-fi films I think you can get that has that Luc Besson style to it where it's colorful and bright and vibrant and weird. And I, I think when he's in that lane, I think is where he works the best, but then like the messenger, the Joan, the story of Joan Mark, I really like that a lot too. Um, I think for me, he hits more than he misses. Like I will defend Lucy a lot. I like Lucy quite a bit. I do too. Um, I, I don't think I, I don't, I didn't know what to make of it the first time I saw it, but it's one that when I revisit, I like it more and more. Yeah. Well, and but I think that to me, Lucy, like in 2014 is kind of the last film I remember 
being like, oh, that's a Luc Besson film. I need to see it because like the family and the lady before that, I don't think I remember seeing. And then like those Luther films, they didn't really speak to me. So I didn't see those either. So, but yeah, I think when he does like his big sci-fi stuff, I, I really enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the big blue, we've talked about this. Uh, it is a very interesting film. I think it's a, I think it's a scary film because it's about those divers that, you know, who can hold their breath and, and go the deepest. Uh, it has Jean Reno as well. Um, but you look at the the big blue in 88, Nikita 90, Professional 94, Fifth Element 97. That's a heck of a run. And I agree with you 100%. Uh, I've not seen his entire filmography, but I always find him to be extremely interesting director, both from a visual style and even how he tells a story. It's a little bit non-traditional across the board. Um, but even the family in 2013 with Michelle Pfeiffer, Robert De Niro, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Lucy, I've really come to appreciate more and more, but stuff like the animated film series that he did, Arthur and the Invisibles, I think I only saw the first one and it's, it's entertaining, but, uh, he's definitely a director that I think has a great kinetic visual style for action. Mm -hmm. And I, I love some of his storytelling. If he gets the right actor, he can really pull a performance out of somebody and all you have to do is look no further than Gary Oldman in uh, Leon, the professional. Yeah. But also Gary, Gary Oldman in the fifth element yes, too. is, is fantastic. Um, so I, I, I thought this was kind of interesting. He refuses to do interviews and audio commentaries for DVD and Blu-ray releases because he believes that they ruin the impact of the film. So he won't ever participate in that. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so the screenplay um, Luc Besson did as well, which is not unusual for him. He writes a lot of the films that he directs. But now when you when you look at his filmography from a screenplay perspective, you have a whole new list of films that are really interesting. And I want to start with this one series because I don't know if you've ever seen it. Did you ever see 1998's Taxi? So there's five films in this series, and there was an there was an American remake in 2004 with Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Fallon, uh, Fallon and, Queen, and Latifah? Uh, Queen Latifah. Yeah. But did you see the original French version? I've seen the. I've always seen the original. I haven't seen any past that. Okay. You, you need to go check them out, especially taxi two, I think is the best out of that. It's a lot of okay. fun. Um, but then you get stuff like kiss of the dragon in 2001. He did the screenplay yeah, transporter in 2002. And then, you know, he works on that series. Uh, I, I, I have to assume you've seen this one district 13, 13 mm-hmm. in 2004, which was remade. I, it was remade as brick mansions in 2014 with Paul Walker. Um, and I believe the RZA is in that as well. Yes. Um, d- go watch the original, uh, Banaloo 13 or district 13. I think there's a sequel ultimatum. That's good as well. Ultimatum. Yep. Yep. Does unleashed or Danny, the dog in 2005 wrote the screenplay for that. Then you get the taken series. So he launches that entire franchise, um, follows that up with the John Travolta film from Paris with love in 2010. Then you get Columbiana in 2011 and lockout in 2012. Just a, just a little bit of a sampling of the screenplays that he's a part of. I kind of like Columbiana and I like lockout a lot too. Yeah. It's, it's, lockout's a, just like taken in space. Yeah. It's way. an escape from New York ripoff more yeah. or less. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As a screenwriter, 
I'm always fascinated on all of these uh, franchises and action films that he puts together. And I'm curious why he didn't direct them and uh, gave them to a lot of, a lot of his partners. I, I have, I don't know. I mean, I think he's trying to get the French directing scene to expand a bit. Cause you'll look in the, the guys who direct his stuff. He wrote mostly are French directors. Mm-hmm. Um, except for like three days to kill. I think that's a big G joint. If you want to, <laughs> was that the uh, Kevin Costner one? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. It is. Yeah. Um, he, a lot of his stories um, seem to repeat themselves and he is very much fascinated with the lone gunman or the hired assassin, et cetera. But he, yeah, I wonder if he grew up like a Western fan because a lot of his films kind of have that Western feel to them. That or the samurai film. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, same, yeah. Either yeah. of those two. Uh, yeah, super interesting. I mean, as, as a writer director combination, yeah, I wonder if Luke Besson's like, yeah, my, you know, Kurosawa is like a big influence on me. I mean, <laughs> of might, course. might be sure. I, I could totally see that. I mean, uh-huh. yeah. Um, cinematography by theory Arbogast. So he's worked with, um, Luke Besson going all the way back to Nikita in 1990. So he lends that Leon fifth element. Um, another film, which I think, I've told you about uh, Crimson Rivers in 2000. There's a Crimson River one and two with um, Jean Reno. You you need to check oh, those Vincent out. Cassell? Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell. Okay. Yeah. And, and you'll see again, some titles show up. I mean, kiss of the dragon in 2001. He lends that he works with um, Brian De Palma and femme fatale, but he's, I mean, he did Catwoman in 2004. So didn't, didn't have an entirely clean resume. Um, <laughs> The year that he worked on Valerian, he also worked on a Chinese production called Wished in 2017. Um, the other person I just want to name real quick is production designer. Um, oh, my gosh. This name. Boy, here we go. H-U-G-U-E-S. How do you say that? Hugo? Hugo's? Hugo's? Sure. Yeah. Um, to Sandier. So real quick, production designer, just from a definition standpoint. This is the person that's responsible for the overall look of the visual elements and generally approves the props, costumes, and locations. Different than the digital assets that usually end up in a film. But the the style, the look, and, and sort of the visual element of the production is usually brought together by this person. So has worked with Luke Besson on several films, The Messenger, Transporter, District 13, Family, Lucy, and then Valerian, in the city of the thousand planets. The other thing to keep in mind for this film is that if you were to go and look at the credits and you can easily go to IMDB and search out, okay, the visual effects for this film, you'll see a thousand forty-seven different names attached to visual effects. And the company that continues to show up is Weta digital visual effects. So this is the company that was founded by Peter Jackson, Richard Taylor, and uh, Jamie Selkirk. I think they came into pretty big fame during the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. I mean, this is a, yeah. this is a powerhouse visual effects company. Yeah. And Industrial Light and Magic and Weather basically are your tier one. Those are your two kids on the block, right? So those 2,734 visual shots in this film, Troy. <sighs> that is amazing. I mean, hey, look, I, I, say what you will about the budget. It is clearly went into the visual effects and in my opinion it's there so compared to 188 in the fifth element yes (laughs) well 
Um, let's let's talk about the people in front of the the camera, and we're we're really going to concentrate on two names here. Yeah. We'll start with Dane DeHaan as Valerian. I think most people started to pay attention to him in 2012 with Chronicle. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. Um, and, and if you look through his filmography leading up to Valerian, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I just picked out the films that I remember him in. Lawless, which came out the same year as Chronicle, uh, which <laughs> The Place Beyond the Pines. He the Metallica concert video, he ends up being the guy that's like doing yep. the skateboarding the, around and yeah, the yeah, story. The ro- is he a roadie in that? Yeah. I, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, I just remember the, the music. I saw that in the theater, the IMAX, uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did. Uh, kind of gets a big name gig with the amazing Spider-Man two in 2014 ends up playing a villain for that. And, uh, leading up to Valerian, he does some interesting films like a cure for wellness in 2016, which I know our good friend Jose loves. Tulip Fever in 2017 and Valerian in 2017. And most recently, I mean, still, he's still acting. You would have seen him in uh, Oppenheimer in 2023. So I mentioned it again, like dumb money is one of the films I'm looking forward to the most. And he's in that as well. You, uh, where does, I mean, what's your thoughts on Dane as an actor? Uh, To put it nicely, I don't like him very much. I think he has zero charisma. His eyes, there's just something about his face that he just looks so mopey and depressed all the time. But like a cure for wellness, it fits. Um, so I'm okay with that. Harry Osborne in Amazing Spider-Man, I'm okay with that there. But for the most part, I am not a big fan. I Seeing him in Oppenheimer almost took me out of the film because he just seemed so out of place. Um, I do... I did like him in Chronicle. I think he and Michael B. Jordan kind of popped a bit, uh, but I haven't really liked him very much at all. I There's just something about him. I just think he has like zero. It. He doesn't have the it factor for me. He's like the inverse of the it factor. Yeah, I, I, I can't explain it. This is probably terrible, but. If, if your movie, if you're, if the main protagonist of your film involves, I don't know, somebody that you would identify as like some emo person or emo kid, I would say, okay, Dane is going to be perfect for you. But outside of that, I just, I don't get anything out of him, uh, from, from a performance that I think is compelling or interesting. So the, the films that I think he has been good in might be Chronicle uh, it might be a cure for wellness, but it's because those characters are, the, I don't want to say mopey. I don't know. Just, just this troubled emo like presence. He seems to just give off in just every performance. It's weird. Yeah. I get depressed when I see him and I shouldn't get depressed at, I mean, if the intent is to depress me, then he's doing it. But I don't think that's the intent of every one of his films. Yeah. There's, uh... You know, I, I hate to like discredit someone who obviously is getting lots of work and continues to work, but I don't see it. Yeah, I think he kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm there with you. Then we get uh Cara Delevingne. I say that right. I think so. Okay. Yeah. As Loreline was a fashion model in the face of Burberry's beauty campaign starts to get into acting with Anna Karina, Karina, yeah. You Karina? know what? Yeah, never mind. Um I guess 
she becomes recognizable with the Suicide Squad in 2016, which was sort of a big role. She plays the villain in that, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Right? Well, witch. she's like the witch who then turns in. Yeah. To yeah. be a villain. Okay. Then yeah. does um, Tulip Fever. Uh, Dane was in that as well. Same year as Valerian and City of a Thousand Planets. She also is still working. Most recently is doing the American Horror Story. A couple episodes in that from this year. Uh, I, I don't know what to think of her, to be quite honest. Um, I haven't Same. seen her in enough stuff. So my wife had read the book Paper Towns, and she's in Paper Towns. And we watched that, and I was like, actually, she's kind of decent. And then you see her in Suicide Squad, and you're like, actually, she kind of sucks. Um, and some of the other stuff she's in. I mean, Anna Karenina, I think she's pretty good in as well. I just... Mm. You know, she is to me the poster child of just because you're really attractive doesn't mean you can be a good actor. And and that would be that would be her spot for me. I think she's okay, but I don't if she doesn't look like she does, I don't think she gets to work as much. I know that might be harsh, but I, I just think that's how it is. I mean, she's a very attractive woman, but she is not the best actress in the world, not even close. But would you would you say that even in the roles that she's gotten, she carries her own for those parts? She does. She's okay. Um, like you e- know, I, even I, take Suicide Squad. I I think she's okay in it. I just think that role is well, kind of that's dopey. not a fair. That's not that movie is yeah. not fair to judge on anyone because even Will Smith's bad in that. So, um, yeah, I I just think there hasn't been the right maybe the right role for her just yet. Um, I know she had some personal problems and has gotten clean. So maybe she focuses on becoming an actress, a better actress now and um, goes on that path. And look, I, I hope we're all the best, but I, her work up until now has not been super impressive. But um, is it fair to say there's something there? Like with, <laughs> I hate saying this. She's, with, she's not Dane DeHaan. She's not Dane DeHaan with Dane. It's like, look, if you stick to this role, you're probably going to be fine. I know that's typecasting, but Look, emo skateboarding kid, you're fine. Yeah. Um, even in your 50s, you should continue playing that role. But with her, I feel like there's something there, and she she just needs more roles and probably a little bit better roles. Yeah, I agree. Okay. We'll be less harsh on her. Yes, absolutely. That is fair. So hey, here here's the thing. Yeah. If you think if we lined up a thousand people and said, Hey, have you ever heard of Carnival Row? Do you think anyone would say yes? Carnival Row. I don't think so. Yeah. Huh. She she has a a a TV series on Amazon Prime. It's her and our favorite actor, Orlando Bloom. Oh my god, that sounds like a train wreck. Yep. Okay. Um, I'll take a TV show I'll never watch for 400, Alex. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, rounding out the cast of our film, Clive Owen as uh, Aaron Fillett. Rihanna as Bubble, the shape-shifting Glampod entertainer. Ethan Hawke shows up for a quick cameo as Jolly the Pimp. Uh, this surprises me. You get Herbie Hancock. Yes, American musician Herbie Hancock, Herbie Hancock yep. um, is pretty much a hologram as the defense minister. And then uh, I, I, it's only been a few weeks since you had to watch Dracula 3D. So when Rudger Hauer shows up for like a few minutes in the beginning, did you 
Did you twinge a little bit or? I did. I had a little bit of a flashback of him playing Van Helsing. Okay. And there is a voice you might recognize. John Goodman is the voice of Igon Cirrus. So it's sort of a big baddie in the beginning of the film. Yeah, there we go. Uh, production and development. So Valerian and Loreline, originally titled Valerian Spatiotemporal Agent, and also commonly known as Valerian, is a French science fiction comic series created by writer Pierre Christian and artist Jean-Claude Mezzery. It was first published in Pilute magazine in 1967, and the final installment was published in 2010. All of the Valerian stories have been collected in comic album format, comprising some 21 volumes plus a short story collection and an encyclopedia. So that series is basically what our movie um, is all about, right? So it is a, for, for I guess, uh, all intent and purpose, it's a comic book film. Now, what's interesting yeah. is this comic book goes way back to the 60s and... Uh, I have to, I, I've shown you some things, Brad. I, my mind was, bl- I had no idea. Yes. So if, and, and I'll, I think we'll, we'll try and post this on some of our social media, et cetera. It blew my mind too. I, I actually picked up the first three volumes to go back and read some of these stories. And I was shocked at some of the imagery that's in there. And the more I started reading about this comic series, the more these comic book panels would show up along with scenes from a little space opera called Star Wars. So, you know, Lucas has never, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Lucas has always said he's borrowed from like Flash mm-hmm. Gordon, Samurai films, space operas, etc. Yep, yep. But Valerian, I never heard of before. Is, is, I mean, I've you? never heard it before. Yeah, and I, I was when you sent me those pictures, I was shocked. Yeah, you get Valerian frozen in like carbonite, pretty much, um, and that sequence or storyline took place way before the Empire Strikes Back. Loreline mm-hmm. is in pretty much a Slave Leah outfit. Um, Wait, Wat- Watto, what, what did you what did you call her? Slave Slave Leah. Le- Leah. <laughs> Leah. Sorry, Troy I've been in the Howard. sun all day. It's Memorial Day. Red. I do. I'm tired. I I'm just beach bumming too much. So, uh, Watto from episode one looks exactly like one of the creatures from the comic series. Um, but the, the comic series is even different than the film. So the original setting for the series was the 28th century and humanity has discovered the means of traveling instantaneously through time and space. You don't get the time element in this film. The capital of Earth, Galaxy, saving it for the sequel. Really. They are, um, is the center of the vast Terran galactic empire. Earth itself has become a virtual utopia, with most of the population living a life of leisure in virtual reality dream state, ruled by the benign technocrats of the first circle. So this all sounds like space opera jargon, right? And basically, the whole premise of the comic series is a spatial temporal service protects the planets of the Terran Empire and guards against temporal paradoxes caused by rogue time travelers. Valerian and Loreline are two such spatial temporal agents. So in the very first series, Loreline, and I can't remember which century she comes from, it's like medieval ages, but Valerian travels back in time to stop somebody and meets her because she helps him out. I think she's turned into a unicorn or something. Don't ask me what, look, I'm still <laughs> wow, trying to okay. get through it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she, she comes from the past and eventually over time ends up being his, uh, partner in, in one of these, uh, 
temporal space agents, right? Um, but uh, Luc Besson loved these comics while growing up, and he did not seriously uh, he did not seriously consider adapting them into a movie until he was working on the Fifth Element. So during the development of the Fifth Element, Besson uh, had hired Valerian illustrator Jean Claude Mezzeri to work on the film. Now Mezzeri asked Besson, and I'll do my my best French accent. Here it comes. Yeah. Why are you doing this shitty film? Why don't you do Valerian? It's not very French. It's probably more Russian. Um, at the time, Besson felt that making the film was impossible given the vast alien-to-human ratio. The release of Avatar served as both a blessing and a curse for Besson. As he said, technically, I could see that we can do everything now. The film proved that imagination is the only limit. However, he also felt that James Cameron pushed all the levels so high, which made him believe that his script was not good enough, so he rewrote it. Ultimately, the storyboarding for the film took seven months. So, couldn't do this film till Avatar came out, and uh, which is super interesting considering that this is the guy that brought us The Fifth Element. Yeah, I, I think you can draw, obviously you can draw a very straight line between uh, Valerian and Fifth Element. I, it there, I feel like there are scenes lifted out of Fifth Element that, that are in this film. Well, and and it is you vice could, versa. You I could guess. probably draw that line too and say between the Fifth the Element, the Avatar, and this, uh-huh. uh, going to the comic source material is actually some. It's pretty smart, considering and for for anybody who would look at this film and go, "Wow, some of this stuff." feels like I've been there before it's because you have because a lot of space opera films specifically Star Wars have already borrowed a lot of stuff from these comics even Valerian ship looks very similar to the Millennium Falcon it does look very Millennium Falcon (laughs) so um I, I I mean I think I think you covered it why this thing bombed when it came out we're talking about a really crowded year and uh that summer there were a lot of movies to go to and some and some heavy hitters too to go there were i wonder if the title as well is throwing people off valerian in the city of a thousand planets sometimes i feel like your 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 first film can't be too wordy i know that sounds dumb but it just can't be. It can't be. People can't wonder what your film is because of the title. True. I wonder if they just called this Valerian and Laura Lynn, like if it's better. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't or just know. or just call it Valerian or space opera. Um, <laughs> <laughs> space opera colon Valerian. Yeah, I, I, it's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I look at this film and I look at Blade Runner 2049. And I would say those are two very interesting films because they're based on properties that sci-fi nerds, and I say that with love and affection, hardcore sci-fi nerds would know those properties and probably get super excited about, oh, we're finally getting a live-action Valerian um, movie, and they're doing a sequel to probably one of the greatest science fiction films of all time. Sorry, Sammy. Um Blade Runner, but yet those two properties don't resonate with the public in a year where science fiction was pretty hot. 
Yeah, I mean, both of them were Blade Runner 2049 and Valerian are, are pretty big bombs. Um, and that doesn't say anything about the quality of either. But you're right. War of the Planet of the Apes is a much more fun science fiction film. Uh, you know, your superhero films were kind of getting into that space where they were they're 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 leaning into the comedy and the sci-fi elements and they're just hodgepodging them all together to make your your superhero film but people are getting their science fiction from superhero films at the time um so i don't know if people would take a chance on a valerian even though it is probably best seen in the theater uh and also like Dane Dahan and the what's her name are not huge draws. It's a very odd choice to spend $200 million and Dane and Kara are your two leads. And your third bill is Clive Owen, who, you know, we've talked about before on this podcast is a great actor, but I don't know if he's getting people to come to the theater. No, I, but I mean, I don't understand the $200 million price tag. Um, well, I don't think it originally was. I think it, it kind of, it kind of ballooned up to that way. But even if, even if you're looking at 150, I still think this is a huge risk. Oh, we're uh, looking at it now in 2023, we're seeing all these films that are $300 million. People are like, why are they bombing? Well, we have to make $600 million to even start yeah, making it's, it's money on films. Why, why? It's not that hard. Yeah, but you, ha- you have a you have an IP that a lot of people don't know outside of the mm-hmm. hardcore science fiction or comic book um, enthusiasts, right? Then you, I mean, I'll, I'll say it, you got Star Wars around the corner. I mean, The Force Awakens is a big hit. Everybody was very excited about um, The Last Jedi. And Aliens is out there, so your major ips are already putting product out there there to me that this thing was just never going to get off the ground no matter if it turned out to be one of the the best things out there it, it feels like it was a very saturated market and more famous ips were taking up um viewership that year because you got to mm-hmm. keep in mind i mean your average your average moviegoer is only going to see five or six films um your your teenage audience and everything's going to go to more but um, at five or six films, they're saving their money for the um, <laughs> the, the the Planet of the Apes, the Transformers, the the yeah. stuff they know, right? I mean, Blade Runner twenty forty nine was one hundred eighty five million dollars, and I think you can. I, I mean, to be fair, you can see both of those budgets on the screen. I, yeah. I don't think two hundred million dollars. I don't think you say, "Well, where's the money?" Because I, I think it's uh, quite obvious they spent a lot of money on special effects in this film, but just you, I, I just don't think at two hundred you're saying, yeah, let's let's green light at two hundred. Yeah, a hundred. I, I would say okay, let's do it at a hundred, but then you're not getting it to look. You're not getting wet at a hundred million dollars, and so therefore it's not looking as great. I don't know. Do people care? Because Marvel CGI has looked terrible for the last five years. It starts to look like people care, but I, I don't know. Maybe in 2017 they didn't. Maybe I, I just I think also in 2017 you're uh, you're quite a few years from Luc Besson being a director that pulls in people too. So his, the, the his fifth element's 97. Been a long time ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we talked about this a little bit. I think there is a changing of the guard. So um, as pointed out, you could have you know Christopher Nolan bring in an audience because he he may carry that now. 
Luke Besson maybe have been able to do that in the late 90s going into early 2000s. But 2017 at this point, I, I don't think a lot of people are like, oh, a Luke Besson film. He's a guy that uh, did all those really cool movies back in back in, in the day. Yeah. I, I, okay. Well, I wonder if this movie is also too international. Too international? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I mean, the d- domestic number is terrible. $41 yes. million dollars domestic. So I think you... You need the you need domestic and international, and they just didn't have the domestic number to help. I think if they get a hundred million dollars domestic, I think this is a different story. But they just never had a chance. I think they this is much more of like a European. It felt like more European film than an, than an American film. True, but I mean, I guess my question then would be, why didn't this perform the way like Pacific Rim did in China? I, I would have figured they'd eaten this stuff up, but. Maybe they were too. I would have thought so too. Maybe they were too busy going seeing their Transformer films because that's the only reason I, I why we make Transformer. That's why movies. we get them. Yep. Yeah, is for that country. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. I'm really curious because just just you saying that your first watch it took you three or four times to get through. I have no idea where you're going to end on this one. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to share our thoughts on Valerian, and hopefully, I'm going to wake up a little bit and uh, start pronouncing things correctly. I guarantee I will. So stay tuned. Uh, may I help you? Uh, I'd like two of those, please. Hot dogs? Yes, sir. And three of those, and one of those, and five bars of these, and a cup of that nice hot liquid. Uh, coffee. Uh, coming right up. Oh, and two bags of those peculiar white coffee material. Uh, you mean our crunchy popcorn. Uh, uh, shall I wrap that for you, sir? Oh, that's all right. My saucer's just outside. <laughs> they come from miles to enjoy our intermission. Don't be alarmed. It's only the death breath of the Dark Lord. Don't be scared. It's only an Imperial cruiser making the jump to light speed. Relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun. Director George Lucas and 20th Century Fox present... Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Okay, we're back. Uh, Brad, kick us off. So did, did you watch this in... Okay, first of all, did you watch it in one setting? And what format did you watch it on? Uh, I watched the whatever on iTunes. Their stream. I think it's 4K on iTunes. Okay. Um, and I watched it Friday night all the way through. I had kind of sent out some text to you guys when I started watching it. Um, and, and I will say, my when I first watched this a few years ago, I was just not feeling it. And that was when my was peak. Like how is Dana Han getting work? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm much more mature now. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm over my hatred for him. It was um, hatred. Okay. 
I, I kind of hated him. Really? Um, I never really I think, hated him. I just couldn't figure out why he was like. He's a strong word. I don't know the guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Like, I just hated seeing him on screen. Like kick he your dog a, or something. Or... He has a punchable face. I, I think that's probably. Ooh, I will give you that. Yeah. Yeah, he has a very punchable face. Yes. Now, I wouldn't punch him in real life, but it, in my head, I'm like, <laughs> if he came up to me, I'd punch them. No, anyway. Um, You're very aggressive today. I, yeah. Uh, Three-day weekend, man. I'm all jacked up. Um, I have to say, I, I watched this Friday night and after I got through the, I think this film starts off horrendously because you get a strong dose of the lack of chemistry between our true protagonists. I, I mean, it is, there is a vacuum of chemistry between those two and then watching them try to force their relationship is pretty bad. But once we go to the market and things start to get really sci-fi, we're wearing uh, VR helmets to see through things and suffer going through portals. And we got a bunch of sci-fi stuff and some glee flops and some aliens and some robots. I'm like, hey, you know what? This is actually kind of fun and it looks really expensive and it looks amazing. I think the story is kind of absolute dog shit if you want to know the truth. Like it's basically... As soon as they show Clive Owen on the screen, you're like, that's the bad guy. Like, <laughs> that dude ain't good. Yeah. Immediately. So like, there's no, there's no tension or anything like that. You just know we're going to go for a ride for the next two hours and 15 minutes. It's going to look great. It's going to be real dumb. The actors are going to be okay. And by the end of it, you're going to see some fun sci-fi action. And that's what I got. It's not, I think, we talked about with kingdom of heaven. It's good. Despite uh, Orlando bloom. I think this film is okay. Despite some of the performances and it's because it's so expensive and looks so expensive and the effects are pretty decent. And, you know, you have a gun that shoots metal balls at somebody and they fall through the floors and all the stupid stuff, but that's the things I like. And I don't know why I enjoyed it this time more than I did the first time. But I liked it, and I liked it despite the two that you have to hang around with. Like, again, there is no chemistry between them, and it is baffling how two human beings <laughs> can seem like they have never spoke to another human being in their life. Like, I, I don't know, man. They they have a makeout scene at the end, and I'm sure when Basan yelled cut, they pulled away from each other immediately. Mouthwash and all, just trying to cleanse oh, yeah, that. yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. Is it, is it lack of chemistry between the two of them or is, is Dane so bad that if you replaced him with somebody else, it would actually click. I was thinking about that. I think so. I think if you, if there's a charismatic, cause he's, he has no charisma. Oh, he, have I, he has the charisma of a bounty napkin, and he actually sucks out the charisma of other people around him like a napkin. I mean, a bounty could napkin. you imagine if you put Dane DeHaan and Orlando Bloom in the same room together? Just I don't what think would you happen? can. I, I, think, I think it's like crossing the streams and Ghostbusters. Yeah, it like, creates like some black hole or whatever and sucks the world into oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think so. I think, again, you start to you you start to play those games in your mind thinking about, well, how would I make this better? And I literally think like, if you take Dame, Dame DeHaan and you take him out of this film and put someone who's got charisma, I think like, I think it's a hundred times better. Like 
think about if Chris Hemsworth is in this or Chris Evans, maybe they're a little old. Well, it's five years ago, so maybe they're not as old, but like put them in here. How much better is this movie? Uh, so maybe, maybe this is hyperbole, but I almost feel from a marketing perspective and everything else, if you replaced him and then you showed the trailer with a Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hall, like any, any of the, what what are the A names now? Is it Tom Holland? Chris, it's just basically the Marvel people, right? The Marvel guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you, if you take any of those and you replace Timothy them, Chalamet. you put Timothy Chalamet in this movie. Eh, well, I guess Dune is doing really well or did, did well, right? People are yeah. hyped for the second one. I ain't hey, valid point. I actually think part of the reason why this thing bombed is because he's in it. Like I actually put a lot of the financial blame on him and his performance because it's very hard to market an exciting film with him as your leading man. Yeah. Who's not exciting at all. This I, is an exciting film and your lead seems to be asleep through the whole thing. Yes. He's emoing the crap out of. Yeah, and like, you're supposed to believe like he's got his shirt off and you're supposed to think he's some sort of Lothario who's like got all these women that he's like conquered before. And you're like, Get the fuck out of here. There's no way. Dude, Come on. when you see that wall of women, when she's like, well, look at all these people he slept with. I'm like, well, did he Bill Cosby them? What what happened? That's yeah, the only way he's on. getting them. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. There's no way. There's no way. And so you're building up this character who is clearly not this person that you're building up. Um, but Rihanna shows up and has a really fun part. Uh, Ethan Hawke shows up and is really cool. Um you know, Clive Owen for the little that he's in it is definitely kind of channeling his, his Gary Oldman. He's not as good as Gary Oldman as a bad guy, but he's trying to be, um, sometimes then other times I think like, Oh, he's just not feeling this at all. Um, so I was just thinking about like, take it's, him out and put Gary Oldman in that role. It has got to be much bigger, but it's so much better. But um, he's not in it very much. I know. Like he's on screen for what? Maybe seven, eight, nine minutes. Maybe say ten, 10 minutes. Most. To, and most of it's towards the back end, right? Yeah. When and, you get the again, big reveal, there's, there's no tension. Like you know, as soon as he comes on, he's the bad guy. Well, he has um, a bunch of big, like bad robots behind yeah, like, him. Yeah, like stormtrooper or those guys from Black Hole, whatever those guys are called. Oh yeah, I guess they do. Like they kind of look like a, a crazy version of Maximilian from the Black Hole. Kind of. Yeah. 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 But like I said, like all those shortfalls, I still enjoyed my time at the two hour and 17 uh, minute runtime. And it's not a great movie. I don't think anyone would say it's great, but I had fun. Um, and going on these like little self-contained adventures is is pretty fun. Um, is all that despite not liking the two lead characters, which is shocking to me. I I know why I turned it off originally. It's when they're on the beach <laughs> together and you're just like, this, this is not working. This is not working. And I'm not going to watch another two hours of this. But when you have to sit through it and and, and watch it, they go on some adventures and they're doing other things and they're not trying to romance each other. And, and it, it makes the film a lot better. This I, I think onboarding the audience with that opening 20 minutes is pretty well, not 20, 15 minutes is pretty bad. I don't even think it's like 15 it's, minutes. It's bad. It feels really long. It does. They That's get the worst it, part of the movie by far. Is they the do opening. get into the action pretty quick though. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But that beach thing is like when they're rolling around and, and trying to like play fight, you're like, these are like, this is Ken and Barbie dolls just rolling around together. Ooh, yeah, that's true. Okay. I'll give you that. What else? What did you have a favorite sequence out of the film or something? I, I don't know if you do this every once in a while. If you watch something, it's pretty impressive after, after it's over, you go back and go, well, I, I want to watch that sequence again. Did you do that in this one? I watched the, uh, sort of the escape scene from the market um, again, just because I think it's, it's really well done. Um, I got very strong. Uh, I guess it's empire when they're when the Millennium Falcon is like, you know, they're obviously there's chasing in all of the films, but yeah. just like a lot of those vibes, uh, the space battle stuff I found didn't work very well for me. Everything was a little too dark. Are you talking um, at the end, sort of the flashback sequence? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, nothing was, I, I do like the big ships coming into the planet and like making that big noise and falling through the atmosphere. And then the one crashing into the planet. Um, I thought that was pretty impressive. No, I mean, nothing really that I'm like, besides that market scene that I really think is standout. Everything's fine. I'm just not hitting the rewind button to go back to watch it again. Okay. Uh, I, I think I liked it more than you. Uh, I'd seen it in the theaters and really enjoyed it. And it was, it was one of the very first 4k, um, discs that I'd bought as mm, okay. Dolby Atmos and everything. Cause I, I love the sound design and it, it certainly shows off your system, both from a, from a visual and auditory perspective. I feel like this is the movie that before you recommend it to somebody, you kind of have to ask how they felt about the fifth element. And if the question is, Hey, do you like sort of space operas, um, goofy humor, some questionable acting? Cause there's some questionable acting in, in the fifth element and a script that makes you very much aware that, you know, being in love is super, super duper important. Cause that, that's sort of a big theme in those two. I think they would like this film, but I, I got to say, I only have a few glaring problems. We've talked about them already. Uh, but for me, there's way more to love about this film. And um, I, I think we, you, you would say love. I do love this film. Okay. Here, here's why uh, it, it is pure eye candy. Like if you, if you read the reviews, which I've always found very interesting is even, I think universally everybody says this thing looks gorgeous. Like you can't take that away. The mon- the money's on screen. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he watched Avatar, learned a lot from that. But one of my favorite things, say what you will the about pe- the-, the people on Mule look a lot like Avatar, like yeah, the, the, the Navi. And I don't know which came first, if if they're still the design from the comic or whatever. But they look a lot like the Navi. I feel like at this point, the more I read the comics, the more I'm like, I feel every production designer that worked on every space film from like the 70s on has has read Valerian. I'd be curious if any of our listeners from the European countries um, could just write in and tell us if they've experienced this comic in if it was something that they grew up with. And and like when Star Wars came out, did they go, oh, that's very similar to this comic book? Because I, I knew nothing about this comic book until this film. Um, but my my favorite thing is with Star Wars in the films and, and even some of the series, they do the art of books, right? So it's the production design sketches and everything. 
And I love to go see what the creature designs look like. And you see the iterations of something before you get to the final product that ends up on screen. And for me, this, uh, a movie like this is just showing off all of that stuff. Right. And mm-hmm. I love the opening sequence where you get this parade of creatures through the beginning of the film as they're explaining how the city came together. Oh, that also reminds me. Space Oddity needs to, you need to stop having that as your opening song in your <laughs> space film. It's like, I, d- I didn't mind be it. any more mo- on the nose. I know, but I, I didn't mind it. I think it fits for this, but I like the whole, the evolution of the humans as they're meeting all these creatures, the city gets bigger. And to me, it was just, it was a parade of that, right? So I, I really liked it. The interdimensional big market, there was so much to see here in each frame. And the other thing I really, I mean, to me, this is how you kick off your movie. They, they should have got there a little bit faster. It really should have been, here's the evolution. Here's your credits. You're watching all these creatures. And then you go right into the market. I get rid of that beach scene, and shave mm-hmm. some time off. Right. But I really got to kick how the science worked in that sequence and how it was really cool setting up the unique action sequences where he's in one world, but his hand is in another world and how things come from one dimension to the other, how he affects it. And even within the dimension, how he's using like all these different weapons to escape, like the ball bearings, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's, it's really not just a fun action sequence, but I think it's sort of a unique inventive action sequence on, on the play for the interdimensional portion. And you, that, and you could see like, if they had a second one, like that big bad that they steal that thing from would come, you know, come back. Like yeah. all these things are telltale signs that, we're, we were trying to set things up like that. That guy would have come back in the second film or third film. Absolutely. And I, I love it kind of culminate culminates into this big creature chase and how it attaches itself to the, to the ship and it's falling into the atmosphere, holding on to her dress piece. So I, I actually think this movie is, is really funny, but it's not the comedic um, exchanges between its characters where there is some forced comedy there. But it's usually these visual sight gags. And your first big one you get is when she's complaining that, you know, it it scratched her dress or took a chunk of her dress out. And that thing's holding on to it as it's, you know, it's falling through the atmosphere to you, plummeting to its death. Yeah. When you saw those two plastic people on the on the beach trying to have chemistry, that was pretty funny. Oh, no, that was not funny. Um, the city of a thousand planets is pretty amazing. It is sort of avatar in space. And the, here's a sequence I went back and watched again afterwards because I thought it was, I thought it was really inventive again. And I loved watching what was going on in the background with each of the environments. And that's when, um, Clive is kidnapped and Valerian has to run through the walls, through each of the cities, goes underwater. Uh, I thought it was a really great chase sequence but it's sort of taking you through elements of the city of a thousand planets. And it was like, well, look at this pr- production, like, and look at, and look at these effects and look at this yeah. underwater world. I loved all of that stuff. And I watched it again. And to me, it's a great uh, combination of action, kinetic energy, but also that wow factor of what's going on in the sequence as well. And it's what you want out of these science fiction films, right? The cool thing about star Wars was it wasn't just, you know, Luke and Obi-Wan walking into the cantina, it was, let me pause this thing and see all the creatures in the background, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Th- this film yeah. has that element. Um, and, if, and if I haven't said enough, I mean, I love all the creature designs in here, 
my absolute favorite creature. Um, and Cameron watched this with me. This is a movie that he saw too originally and, and really liked it. So when I told him I'm watching this, he's like, oh, I'm, I want to watch that again. But there's one creature we just are dying um, for this sequence where she's captured by this primitive tribe. It's the bull and bathers of the planet Gora are these these things, these monsters. The eye, with, the, with the eyes. And this guy is having her try on all these dresses and his expressions are hilarious. Um, the it, big hat. The big hat. Oh, God. Yeah. Which it exposes, is, I guess it exposes the top of her brain. He was going to eat her brain. Is that the whole deal? Yeah. He was going to crack it open like a monkey skull, you know, like Indiana Jones style mm-hmm. and eat her brain. That's what he was excited about. But that whole dress sequence, when you're watching this alien um, get all excited about every dress he's showing her is, uh, again, the comedy in this film comes from the visual gags, in my opinion. His expressions are are priceless. I like the three guys that the the rumor guys. Oh yeah, they're they're great creatures too, and they they provide some comedy too. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole uh, we'll sell you the information and um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I I love the sci fi space opera action sequences. Um, we already talked about the chase in the interdimensional market, um, the chase through the cities. I love Valerian rescuing Lorelai from the from that primitive tribe. I think it's a great action sequence. It actually feels like something out of a Conan film, um, like sort of the cheesy sword and sandal kind of element. Yeah. The sword um, and sandal side quest they have to go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a lot of fun. I I got a kick out of the space battle sequence in the flashback. It wasn't too dark for me, but I don't know if that's because of our. I mean. It, I just thought it was super impressive. Again, it was, it was, here's all of the um, money on screen. Weta's doing an amazing job of these visual effects. Watching these large uh, ships blow up and crash into a planet was gorgeous looking. Um, and I really, really dug. Very, very like Rogue One. It, it was, it was, it was really cool. Um, and I, I really sort of dug that final action sequence against the Katron robots where you know she's just shoot out yeah she's punching clive owen just you you get a cut to that and she's just hitting his face over and over again yeah yeah again it's visually funny uh but you cannot deny luke basson and and this is this is another sequence i went back and watched again the guy knows how to shoot action sequences that are i think really thrilling and watching valerian take out all of those robots was a lot of fun. I love his little gun that allows him to like create little discs that he can jump on, but yep. then also these little one shot kill. I mean, it's the gun that does everything that I guess is control controlled by Alex, the the spaceship or something. Uh-huh. But that, that entire sequence, it's a great action sequence. It reminds me of something you would, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, this is the guy who did Leon, the professional or La Femme Nikita or the fifth element. I mean, the fifth element. Yep. yeah. When, when he does action, he knows how to shoot it and he knows how to do it in such a way where it's super exciting and you go, wow, I, I do want to watch that sequence again. Yeah, I, I get, and, and I guess it's unfair to compare this thing to Star Wars, but like the end, just think about like the end of the Return of the Jedi where you've got, you got the thing, you got that on the planet and then you have it in space and then you have Luke and, and Vader fighting. And there's like, the Lucas, like you always have to have like the three. Like there's always got to be space and there's going to be a bigger planet fight. And then the more intimate lightsaber stuff. And, and I kind of wish 
the climax of this had a little bit more of that where it was a little bit bigger um because you, you tell me there's a city of a thousand planets we're not really doing anything at the end battle with any of the other people besides the humans and the and the mule people but like i don't know that was it to me i was like i i was hoping other people who live on this big ship would do something but i guess they don't know what's going on but you could have pulled in some of the other i mean you've got they were talking about like how many other aliens are on this ship and it's the white people who saved the day like it's the only thing even chewbacca was there he didn't get a medal but at least he helped <laughs> yeah i i don't know i i think that's kind of what i liked about it because I, I was trying to think about this for a second um you've got this very simplistic plot which is we got to go get this creature from the black market like save it and then we gotta we gotta is it shits pearls is that is that what well it's doing? It, whatever you put into it it's actually going to create so okay. you give it money, whatever it eats it and it craps out, whatever it is like material wise you gave it. So, and it's the last of its kind, it's a species, but that kicks off this whole, well, there's, there's a whole conspiracy about this planet that doesn't exist, et cetera. I don't necessarily agree with you that the plot is like total crap. I think it's simplistic. It's, there's a government cover up. who did it. Why did they cover it up? That's all it is. It's, it's nothing you haven't seen before. But I like that. Yeah, it's maybe on, I should have said it's not original. Crap yeah. is maybe a bit of a stretch. It's just not very original. No, and I I would agree with you hundred percent. But I I actually like the simplicity of it, and I now, like. If you wanted like to get a bunch of senators and vote someone, uh, you know, a vote of no confidence, <laughs> sure, I will go that. Chancellor Valoran, we have no confidence in you. Yeah, well, here's the thing that this is where I think the movie does the right thing. And, and doesn't try to chew off or bite more than it can chew, I guess is the saying, right? So you get a space battle, but you get it in the in a flashback sequence to kind of show you what got you to the um, why the bad guy did what he did, right? Yep. You, you then have Valerian who has to take down these robots who have always been sitting in the background and you know they're intimidating as hell and they're wiping everybody out. And he's got to do that within a couple of minutes because a bomb's going to go off. So... The sequence is nice and tight. It sets up the tension because he doesn't just have to contend with those robots, but now you got some guy in the background who has to disarm the bomb that's going to go off or everybody's, you know, shit out of luck. Again, Bassan knows how to set that sequence up and film it. I don't think if he tried to go, well, here's a space battle. Here's what this, what's going on. I don't think it would go well. He knows how to put this one sequence together, keep you engaged and keep you in that sequence, film it. And then um, it ends with a bang, uh, and it's it's so good. But I, I like that this is, I don't want to call it small scale, but maybe it's a small scale story within a big world. And I, yeah, I, I mean, like that aspect. At the end of the day, like the the city of a thousand planets would be destroyed, but the galaxy still goes on. You know, yes. like there's they're not ending the galaxy. So it is very self-contained in that sort of way. Um, you know, there's no Death Star to like be able to destroy the galaxy. So you're right. I, I do appreciate that. Where we're not, not everything has to be world-ending. It would be bad for this place, but you know, the, the the rest of the galaxy would be just fine. Yeah, I mean, there's some hokey stuff with it about you know the daughter or the princess's spirit ends up inhabiting him, etc. Where you're like, okay, the, 
I don't understand the time because it sounded like the planet was destroyed years ago, but then the spirit just finally caught up to him or something of that nature. Well, space, you know, space is, yeah, uh, it's not infinite, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, you could nitpick those aspects of it, but I don't think this film gives you enough time to do that. I think it sets up its premise and it goes, here's like the MacGuffin aspect of it. And let's find out who the big bad guy is. And it comes to a very satisfying resolution. And for the, for these characters, Valerian and, um, uh, Oh my God, I, f- I forgot her name already. Loreline. Loreline. I, I think it does a great job of, um, giving them these little side quests, him having to rescue her, her having to rescue him, et cetera. At, and it feeds into this main, you know, plot. But along the way, you're stopping for all these amazing creatures, like her putting that squid on her head and stuff like that. I mean, there's all these little things that are going on, and you're like, I like these diversions. They're showing me some amazing eye candy. And they are sort of bookending these fantastic action sequences. So it kind of goes action sequence. Here's this aspect of the world. And you're going to get to see some really cool creatures and it's going to lead you to your next action sequence. And it's all, you know, going to this final climax where everything's going to be revealed. So I think it's, it's a, it's a very basic plot in a very big expanding universe that you can do a lot with. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that we're not going to see a sequel. However, if we were going to do a sequel, we would have to do a couple of things different. One <laughs> recast Valerian 100%. Um, I think you got to keep her though. I think she's really good in this film. Like I, I got frustrated with their scenes because to me it was like, she's acting, she does have charm, but I feel like she's struggling against him. That but, might be, that might be true with, with just her difficulty working with Dane Han. Yeah. Yeah. That's like an impossible task. I think so. Like she, she should have got an Academy award for just working with him and going, man, I, <laughs> I carried that scene. She carries the movie. In my opinion, if you're talking about the leads, yeah. um, you do want to see her on all the time more than you want to see him to be quite honest. Yeah. Like just think about if this was a, like a hero swap and she was the hero and sh- he was more of the damsel and just distri- like, she's not really a damsel, but she was a one and he was or one a, and he was one B. I think it's a better movie. Yeah. But you know, the, the thing I do like about this film is if you think about them as hero or heroine, they each have their moment to shine and it, and it was pretty much 50-50 outside of the big final battle where he takes mm-hmm. out all the robots and she's just beating the crap out of him. Um, I mean, she saves him. He saves her. Then you get to the big finale. I, I love that whole aspect of it. So mm-hmm. I, I would have liked to have seen her do more action sequences because she's just – I think she can command the screen. She she has the personality. She has that it. He does not. I think I yeah. think he sucks it away from her. <laughs> Um, that's a good point. Yeah. And Rihanna, Rihanna's okay. She can sing and she can dance. I liked her better voicing the blob versus trying to see her emote. Um, and, and even the one sequence, which I guess we won't spoil. You're kind of like, eh, I, 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 I don't know if I'm totally sold on her, you know, being empathetic for her. Like 
it she it felt like she was acting and i didn't yeah i mean she's better in this than she is in like something like battleship so okay a hundred a hundred percent i'll give you that okay um and i do agree with you that like this film i'm kind of torn on this comment this film is lacking a really good villain like it needs a darth yes. vader or a, yeah, or a gary oldman a from fifth fifth element well, like one of those like robot guys, I don't, I don't know. Like there should have been somebody. <sighs> Clive Owen is just not it. I and agree. Maybe they would have shown like he had a boss, you know, at some point in time, he's got a boss like in the second one and he was pulling the strings the whole time. Eh, I don't know. I, the, the, the story kind of paints itself into a corner because it starts with Clive Owen, Clive Owen being kidnapped and he's pretty much in like a fake coma or whatever. So you don't you don't see the big villain for most of the film, right? Yeah, for almost like a like you see him a little bit in act 1 and he doesn't come back until act 3. Yeah, and so act 2, problem. act 2 is them going to all these different worlds and trying to get to where he's at, right? Because they think they got to rescue him. And then, mm-hmm. uh-oh, he's really the bad guy. Well, but the audience knows he's the bad guy the whole time. Yeah, I know. Um it's 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 pretty easy. However, I feel like there needed to be something in the background of you know, like the Gary Oldman elements in the fifth element where he is like a phantom menace, maybe maybe a phantom <laughs> menace. I like that. Um, but even then it doesn't detract me like those three elements, you know, Rihanna's okay. Dane. No, it, it needs a little bit more of a big baddie, but at the end of the day, the, the, the eye candy, the sci-fi, you know, space opera sequences, the creature design, um, it it 100% outweighs any of the negatives I have about this film. I, I really have a lot of fun watching this film. Yeah, I, I, I think I was wondering, you know, I was thinking today about it. it like, am I giving this a pass because it looks so good? It's almost impossible not to, in a way, because it does look spectacular. But then you're like, well, Avatar looks spectacular. And I'm like, well, yeah, I kind of like watching Avatar for that reason. Yeah. Um, Maybe, because it does have some holes, but I I still think it's it's decent enough. For me, it's it's on the like side. For you, it's much higher. But yeah, it's got some things going on that I think are interesting. And there are some, there are a lot of sequences that are worth watching, especially in 4k and all that. Yeah. I God, It's just like so close. It's so close for you. Well, yeah. I, for me, it, 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 it passes, it, it goes across the finish line. No problem. I, I don't know, but I, I really appreciate all of these sequences. Um, I, I really appreciate these characters, these creatures, um, Cara Delevingne. I just think it's it's close Cara to being almost, awesome. I think it's close to being one of those films where you wholly recommended it to people, but it's almost hard to do that with Dane DeHaan's performance. It is. You almost got to put a warning label on it and go, mm-hmm. look, this bounty napkin guy, I mean, he's not good, but everything else around. But look, here's the thing. That's how good the film is, is if if you put in a terrible lead actor, but the rest of the film really stands on its own for its visuals, it's, it's action sequences. I mean, think about science fiction, how many science fiction films actually kind of introduce something that you haven't seen before from, you know, uh, a fantasy element, just, just that market sequence I think is brilliant. 
on how they're playing with sort of like this alternate dimension and trying to escape that, but also try to do this heist. You, you don't see a lot of that stuff. And I, I think it's visually impressive. Absolutely. I, I agree with, with you there. Huh. I, it's just funny that we talked kingdom of heaven and this is like, so lockstep with kingdom of heaven where you're everything around the lead actor kind of makes it a, a much better film than it is. But if you just switch out that lead actor, this could be like a nine out of 10 film. I think so. I think it would have been a huge hit if you had found the right lead actor for it, because everybody would have been like, okay, those visuals are amazing. And then, Oh, this person you keep showing me in the trailers looks super fun and super interesting. Dane doesn't necessarily bring that, but I think the movie is so good. This is, you know, if kingdom of heaven is, uh, the example of this type of film for your period action drama war piece. This is your sci-fi equivalent to it. I agree with you 100%. I, I really hope this film, not not the film, let me take that back. I really hope this property gets another chance in some fashion. Not at $200 million. No, but even what I'm reading of the comics, it's pretty interesting. I was surprised that in the comics, or at least the because I'm only in volume one, it it's really doing this whole um, time space stuff, right? So you're going back in time, middle medieval ages, et cetera, jumping around. Whereas this one just concentrates on the space opera stuff, and it doesn't really re- touch the time uh, aspect that the comics have within it. It would be cool for them to go back and maybe try and do that to a certain degree, but then I'm like, well, now your your budget's going to skyrocket because you don't just have to put a space opera together. Now you got to put castles and game of thrones like stuff out there and who knows a highlander shows up yeah highlander shows up okay well uh any other final thoughts on this one uh no so dane dahan is 38 now chris evans is 42 so they're not that different in age could have worked yeah i think so i i think it needed that chris evans hemsworth somebody somebody somebody. yeah somebody with really good acting chops and somebody you you really wanted to kind of enjoy chris pratt would you would you do a chris pratt in here do the star lord thing yeah i i think i think the humor that he's attempting in this lands much much more i i mean say what you will about chris pratt but i think he's a funny guy okay and data han not very funny yes i agree lacks comedic timing is what they would say lacks a lot a lot yeah <laughs> okay um where, where do you land on this is this a bomb uh i'm gonna say valerian is not a bomb for me it's it's a lot of fun and if you're like me and you're off put by the first 15 minutes give it a few more get to that market scene and let it let that be the beginning of the film for you and then take it from there i i think it starts off a little poorly for me, but once I get to the market and things start to happen, it's a lot of fun. It is one of the best looking films I've seen in a long time. Even in 2023, the 2017 CGI holds up really, really well. It looks spectacular. So I would say not a bomb. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not a bomb. I love it a little bit more than you. Uh, I, I agree with that assessment. Just the first I don't know. I, I really like the whole creatures kind of meeting the humans. 
I think that's going to, if you like that stuff and you're like, wow, these designs are racist asses are not going to be shaking hands with no gleep clops coming through a portal. Are you serious? Oh my gosh. Of course we would. Of course we would. Don't listen to that. No, can't wait to stab those aliens in the back. And we do (laughs) whatever, but it's, it's a fun movie. And if, if you can, if you have the right setup, you know, go all out on the 4k, it looks gorgeous. The Atmos soundtrack is really good. I, I really like that uh, release of it. You, sh- you should pick it up, Brad. It's it's good. I will. I will. Now, Troll, you like to speak in absolutes, but you can enjoy a film on DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming, however once you want to enjoy it. Yes. I'm... <laughs> yes. Try... But, okay. Honestly, can you imagine watching a movie like this on your iPhone and trying to get everything out of it from a visual perspective. Oh, no, no, no. Yes. I I think the biggest screen possible that you could watch it on on the clearest TV with the best sound system will be ideal, but, you know, watch the film how you watch it. But, hey, make it the best viewing experience you can. I agree 100%. I told you about those um, Star Wars despecialized editions, how they did a grindhouse version. Mm -hmm. Like, this is an example to me, like, add that grindhouse filter on this thing, and I think it actually would look really good. You know, you're actually, we didn't mention that during the review, but it does have a little bit too much of a sheen on it for me. Like it does need a little bit more dirt and grime, but yeah, it's like everything's clean. It is. Uh, I think it adds to, um, I don't know, the the look and feel of it. That, that's why I mentioned the production designer. I, I really love all the costumes and everything that are in here. I love what, what it did from the visual effects perspective. Uh, I don't want to sound like a, a visual or auditory snob and say you can only appreciate this film on that. Who would say such a thing? Who would say such a thing? But I, I can say this is a good example of you can enjoy it on whatever format you want. The bigger the screen, the better. Um, trying to watch this thing because Tabitha will watch her shows on the you know on her iPhone and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, if if it's if it's a sitcom, if it's something that you really don't have to pay attention to it visually, fine. To me, this is one of those that you would do yourself a disservice if you're watching in a small screen. That drives me insane. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we do have some listener feedback. You want me to go through it real quick? Please do. Okay. We, we had a lot of great responses on last week's show when we talked about the Fablemans, and primarily around the first segment when we were talking about movies about movies. Ooh. Yes. So I'm going to... The feedback section for everybody, I think, is going to be like super cool this week because you're going to get a lot of recommendations. And I got to be honest with you, some of the films that um, our two people uh, that I pulled talk about, I haven't seen before. So I'm going to kick it off with John. So John says, I have a recommendation that's worth your time. The movie's called 52577. Patrick Reed Johnson directed this film. It's about his experiences as an alienated filmmaker growing up in rural Illinois and becoming the first Star Wars fan. Have you heard about this film, Brad? I have not. I had it. It, it had shown up on some because that's know, the release date of Star Wars, right? The yeah. First one. Yeah. It it it's shown up on my radar, and I've seen the trailer before, and I'm like, well, that looks kind of interesting. Uh, John speaks pretty highly of it, so now this is immediately gone on the the watch list. Um, you can pick it up. It's out now. So it sounds like film about being a star Wars fan is called fanboys. No, I'm just <laughs> okay. 
that did not make my list. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, 525.77. So check that out. This one is a long one, but it's from our good friend, Sammy. He says, okay, fellas, you got my brain cooking. And even though I talk to you guys daily, I thought I would send some feedback. Films about making films are a genre I'm passionate about. And if you know me, you know this. So I'm going to drop some on your listeners and maybe a few on you two guys. Best films about making films. Here's his list. Ed Wood, pure, great filmmaking and acting. Agreed. Almost on my list. Yep. Mine too. Hilza Poppin, one of the wackiest films possibly ever made, a musical, a fable. It is so much in one package. Uh, I've never, I've never even heard of that film. Have you? I have not. Okay. Uh, he has here, the films of Charlie Kaufman kind of fit in here. He seems completely obsessed with the film and story process. Although not true films about films, adaptation and Synecdoche, New York are amazing pieces about art. Okay. Okay. Get shorty. This movie ages like fine wine. Agreed. That was almost on my list. I was almost on my list. Yep. This one I totally forgot about, and this would have been on the on the honorable mention as well. Hooper with Burt Reynolds about stuntmen. Um, this movie oh, ages yeah. like the romance and beer. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, this one it is another good recommendation. Matinee. This movie pulls my heartstrings and is much deeper than you give it credit for. Uh, Hail Caesar. Underrated Coen brothers. Never bet against them. Barton Fink as well. So he listed mm-hmm. that one. The recent film Babylon, although bloated, very interesting look at Hollywood and the creative process. So those are some amazing picks. Now he's not done. He says, now for those that maybe haven't seen a few of these heart of darkness, arguably the best documentary about making a film ever made Francis Ford Coppola loses his mind. And it's incredible. I agree hundred percent. That documentary is fantastic. Yeah, it's I like American movie a little bit better because it's a little bit more intimate, but hearts of darkness is spectacular as well. Yeah. This one we've talked about um, way back when we had our first podcast show movie Mm -hmm. matchup, the pretension with Charlie our good friend, Charlie shadow of the vampire. I always feel this gets overlooked. Amazing take on making movies with an insane performance by Willem Dafoe playing Max Shrek. Is he, or is he not the vampire? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mank, one of Fincher's best films and hardly anyone talked about it. Amazing. I, lo- I love Mank. I, mean, I have I not, love, I have not I love seen Citizen it. Citizen Kane, so. Okay. Uh, Badass. I think this might be close to the greatest film about independent filmmaking ever made, directed by Mario Van Peebles and about the making of his father's seminal and provocative movie, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Okay. And this one. Uh, and one most folks didn't see, but they really should shirkers. This film is amazing. A movie about a young girl who decides to make a film and gets entangled with a stranger film scholar. And it's just a unique story about creating relationships and humanity. So needs to be seen. So this one's on Netflix and I actually watched it this weekend. He's not kidding. It's amazing. Shirkers. Everybody go watch that thing. So, uh, love you guys till next time. As Skeletor says, there you go. Little inside joke. Uh, what a list. Oh my God. That's amazing. I'm going to watch shirkers. You need like to immediately. Okay. Yeah, definitely watch that one. One little piece of feedback. Uh, I got an email from our good friend Zoe from the Backlook cinema podcast. 
he's he's been on um vacation break whatever you want to call it he had some stuff going on but he did send an email out and it looks like he's coming back and we're gonna get some new content here in the next week or two so i'm super excited we get to hear his voice again zo welcome back uh can't wait for your next episode and uh let us know when we can get you on the show so there you go absolutely Brad, if anybody wants to send us feedback, make film recommendations, we still got time for people to put in their October uh, picks for us because we're going to do random drawing, right? We are doing a random drawing. Um, we're going to do one one film for one person because we've had people send in multiple picks. So we'll just do the one we kind of like the best. Uh, yeah, but that's not on pod at gmail.com. Or you can go to not a bomb podcast hit the contact us button or hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah. You can send messages through there. We'll respond to yep. them. And if anybody's familiar with the Valerian comic and had some experiences with it, uh, send us some information on that. Definitely curious on, um, your exposure to that. If you grew up with it. And then also when, when star Wars came out, I'm really, I'm really curious. I, it just floored me seeing that stuff. Uh, next week, I think it's up in the air, right? It's a little up in the air right now. We usually like to announce our stuff, but we, we got some things moving it's going to be really cool. Uh, but we'll see. Yes. I think we should just go ahead and do that movie. Regardless. I, I want to, I've been wanting to oh, talk I, about it for years. I've dude, I've, I've watched it before and I cried like a baby. So let's do it. So you want to do it? Yes, please. Okay. Well, what are we doing? We're going to do, are we doing champion? We're doing champion. Okay. With our boy. Don Lee. This is the Don Lee clause in the, not a bomb. Um, I don't know what you would call it. Bylaws. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a 2018 film starring uh, the one, the only Don Lee. And it is a arm wrestling film. So think over the top with Don Lee. Yes. Amazing. So we're going to, as they say, tip our hat, uh, folks, this movie's fantastic. If, if you're going to, so we talk about like Brigsby bear, we, we have like the Pantheon films that we get super excited about introducing people to. Would you consider this to be one of those? I would, I would, I would say anytime we talk about a Don Lee film, people need to see it. I, that is a fair assessment. Okay. So yeah, we're let's let's do that. We'll we'll definitely get um, at least one of the people that we were trying to get scheduled on there. Maybe we'll we'll throw somebody else on too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to see if there's an easy way for people to watch that because you know sometimes it's it's hard for people to watch foreign films. Um, I thought you could buy it digitally. I have a Blu-ray copy. It digitally, yeah. it's on. You can watch it with ads on Tubi, on YouTube, on Plex, on all sorts. Yeah, you can you can get it digitally pretty easy. So I would recommend people watch before you listen because um, it's a Don Lee film, so we're going to talk about a lot of it. Yes, we're going to spoil it, um, but I don't know if you can spoil it. It's just – it's. <laughs> I mean, it's a traditional film, but whereas Brad talked about it being um, an over the top like film over the top, actually the movie over the top plays a component in the story of the film, which makes it even that much more interesting. Yeah. It's very meta. Uh, man, I'm so excited to watch that movie again. 
I yes yes. Okay. I'm gonna introduce some people around here to it. So. Oh, you gonna, yeah. you have a watch party? I think so. Oh, I need to do the same thing. Okay, cool. So, Brad, um, what other podcasts should everybody be listening to? Yeah, so they should be listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Watch Skip Plus. The VHS files, which if you go back to episode 99, I believe it is the best top four opening scenes in films. I was on there with Josh and Eric. Uh, yes, I did have a Quentin Tarantino film in my top four. Oh, big surprise. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not a living podcast. Uh, Zoe is coming back with the Backlook Cinema podcast. So look for that. The Mixtape podcast and Raiders of the podcast. Big shout out to Kevin. Yes. Uh, Movie Struck is another one we want you to start listening to. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, more on that here in the next teaser week trailer two. for that one. There you go. Uh, yeah, folks. Look, summer is kind of officially over, right? We're recording on Memorial Day or Labor Day. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say it's ending, not beginning. Uh, ending. Yeah. So we are we're getting into the fall season. And again, if you have a horror film that bombed at the box office, please send it our way. We're going to do a special um, episode for that drawing and the announcements of what we're doing in October. So look out for that. Yeah. And I, I just want to say a special thank you for people who still listened over the summer. When, when Brad and I were going into the summer and we were both looking at our schedules, I think we came very close to saying, should we take a break uh, because of the vacations um, all the stuff our families were doing because we both have kids. It was, I know for you as well, an extremely busy impact summer. So even right now I'm sitting here going, I'm so tired. Uh, I'm exhausted. I, I, I feel like we made it to the finish line on Labor Day because I know we were super worried about scheduling. I'm kind of proud of us for still getting stuff out every week. But I know some episodes, because I go back and edit to and listen to them, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have recorded that week because I sound <laughs> like I could pass out at any minute. Um, but I just definitely, because we, we've had full-time jobs we pulled down too, but I really want to thank everybody for listening, staying with us. If we, if we sounded a little, I don't know, um, what would be the word for it? Exhausted? Uh, we yeah. were. We were. Yep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like the fall stabilizes a little bit because you go back onto a more normal schedule. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just a big thank you. And we, we got some reviews that came through, uh, iTunes and, and Spotify. You guys are way too kind. Some of the, the comments that were left, um, man, that, that was, that was awesome. I, I can't say that enough. So thank you yeah, so much for that. Our, our, our community is definitely growing. I know we've, uh, we've, you know, uh, people have been listening to the gentleman's guide have switched over and listened to us as well, as long as still listening to them. And we appreciate those guys letting us kind of sit at the table with them and, and giving us their blessing. And their fans have been nothing but amazing to us. And then our fans who have found us just through random occurrences have been amazing. Uh, we've had people who have listened from the very beginning to people who found us who are going back and listening to everything just to catch up. Now it's mind blowing. That's, you and I have put out this podcast for three years and people still listen and still enjoy it and like what we have to say. And it's, it's funny to see how people will then listen to our show and then we'll see a big conversation on kingdom of heaven on other, you know, 
movie boards about, you know, Hey, you should check this out and all this stuff. So it's been, it's been pretty good. And, you know, we don't do this except for we, we like doing it. We like talking to each other, but seeing people react and, and enjoy it does really, really help when you're running kind of on empty and it kind of gives you that adrenaline that you need to get through recording not only every week, but sometimes twice a week to get out, you know, breaking Brad and stuff like that. And we're pulling in Sammy and, and Jose, which, you know, we very much appreciate. So yeah, you know, we, we do this because Troy and I like to talk to each other. And if we didn't record it, we'd still be talking to each other about stuff we've been seeing. So yeah, I, I have been floored by just how, Things have grown over the over the summer when we were like, hey, maybe we take a month off. But I'm I'm glad we decided not to do that. And I'm I'm glad that we haven't missed a week and we've released something consistently for the past what over three years now. So Yeah, no, I, I honestly it came down to like I I really wanted to talk about this film so we could get it out there because during the week, having people send us messages about the film because they're playing along. Um, even give us dissenting opinions and and uh, having a nice back and forth. I mean, that's why we do it. We're we're mm-hmm. we're exhausted <laughs> because it's work, and then oh, we got to run the kids around. We do the vacation time, and then we're like, well, let's start pretty late, get it out there, do all the the post production and stuff. But t- to your point, Brad, the the benefit comes from all of the interaction with the community. And hearing everybody's thoughts on the films we talk about or giving us suggestions. I mean, a week does not go by and somebody's like, hey, you talked about this film, but have you seen this film? And it's like, nope, never heard of that before. It's going on the watch list. So yeah, I, love I, that. I am watching. And, and that's another thing. Like with anything, my movie watching before we started doing this was kind of ebbing and flowing. It was a little bit. I wasn't watching as much stuff then. And then you start getting people recommending you things and saying, Hey, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. And now I, I, you know, every, every day I'm at least watching a movie now. Um, you know, I might not get through all of it just because my schedule, but I'm watching a movie every day again. And I love it. Yeah. I haven't been able to do that, but <laughs> well, and then I'm watching, I'm playing a lot of Starfield too. So uh, that that's, I got uh, that going on. With me. I'm, you know, I'm the one that, doesn't get the amount of sleep that it probably should, but you right now, I don't even know when you're sleeping. So, uh, throwing video games, it's not happening. <laughs> uh, and there, we're working on something also. I I'm hoping that we can talk about this a little bit more in the next coming weeks, but, um, we do have a special project we're working on the side and, uh, it's academic in nature at that. It which is, is, I'm, I'm really excited for it. Cause I, I had to go through this, uh, in my statistical world. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll share a more, more on that. If we can pull it together. Um, if it doesn't pan out, then we'll at least tell you what we were working on. Cause it was pretty cool that somebody approached us about it, but, uh, okay. I think that's it, right? We're done. We are done. Okay. Folks. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon or evening. Thank you for downloading the episode. Um, thanks for, I don't know, just being there all summer. We love all of you and we hope you come back next week because we really, really want to introduce you to this amazing little gem called Champion, starring one of our favorite actors, Don Lee. So go check it out, and we'll see you next week. Don't lose your head.